This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. If you have your Bibles with you, you'll want to be in Luke chapter 12. Our reading this morning is Luke chapter 12, and we will begin reading in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Would you please pray with me? Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have revealed your will for our salvation. You have revealed your character to us, and you've showed us how we are to live. So I pray that you would bring us into alignment with your will, especially as we look at something like this that is so prevalent in each of our lives, that we tend to look to ourselves rather than to you. Help us this morning, right now, to look to you for our every need, for you are the provider of all of our needs. You are the provider of all good gifts. You are the provider of all that we ever could need. Most importantly, you are the provider of our salvation in Christ Jesus. So I pray that that would be set at the forefront of our minds and our eyes as we continue to worship this morning. God, we are so thankful for all that you have been doing in this place, for all that you have done, that you've been faithful here for such a long time in in helping this church to serve you, to worship you, to serve the community. And I pray that you would continue that and that you would help us to be on the mission that you've set us on, doing the things that you've called us to do in loving one another well and discipling one another and in reaching out to our community and being a beacon of the gospel in a dark world. Lord, it's because we are in a world that is affected by by the fall that's affected in every way by sin, that we have things that we butt up against all day, all the time, whether it's our own sin, whether it's the sin of others against us, whether it's just those effects of the fall that are are natural, that we deal with in our bodies and illness and, uh, and death, we bring those needs to you as well. We're especially thinking this morning of, of uh, the Breezy family with Gavin as he continues to recover in the hospital. We pray that you would Be with that family, be with Gavin, heal his body completely. And I pray that you would give comfort and peace to the family so that they can rejoice in your faithfulness and your goodness and bringing them through even such a difficult and scary situation as this. 
We pray also for the Liebman family and their new baby boy. We pray that you would uh, give him health, and as he is uh, also in the hospital today, pray that, uh, that you would heal him, that you would give his parents uh, peace and comfort. We pray that you'd be even with his, his uh, older brother as he is uh, dealing with a new circumstance and a new situation as well. God, we thank you that you are the author of life. You know us from the beginning to the end. You know us inside out. You have shaped us in our mother's wombs, and you are the one who cares for us and provides for us every moment of our lives. And we thank you that we have that confidence that we can rest in and rely on. So we pray for those situations and the many others that are uh, that people are walking through this morning. We pray that you would provide healing and comfort and that your name would be glorified in the midst even of the most difficult situations. God, once again, we thank you for this opportunity to sit underneath the preaching of your word. We pray that you would teach us this morning. I pray that you would be with Pastor Aaron as he speaks to us, that his words would be uh, those that you have for him to say. And God, that your Holy Spirit would apply your word to our hearts, that we would be shaped and molded and brought into conformity with your will so that we could glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So good morning again. It's a joy to be with you. And we continue our series here in Luke 12. But I got to admit, I don't know about you, but I'm tired. Anybody else? Get an amen for that? If we were at camp, I'd make everybody stand up. We would do Father Abraham, do some motions. But if you didn't hear, I just celebrated a birthday. And I'm afraid I might throw an arm out of whack or something now that I'm... 48 years old, so, um, but I'm just thankful for the congregation and the love and the outpouring of, of kindness towards me, um, towards my family. It's a wonderful thing to, to be in community and to have the fellowship of other believers in your life, and really, as we think through our text, Jesus was pouring into those around him out of great love. He was pouring into them to let them know what it is God really expected. Last week we dealt with the sin of hypocrisy. And this week we deal with the sin of covetousness. The ninth commandment, the idea of, of materialism, the, the desire to have more things, not being satisfied with what we have. You know, as you take that topic and you think about it practically to where we live, we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. In fact, if you looked at our economy, which they call the GDP, which means gross uh, domestic product, the United States is ranked number one in the world. And as you have probably, I've learned a lot about Russia lately. Uh, with their war that they claimed upon Ukraine, I've learned that Russia with its 144 million people only has a GDP slightly larger than the state of Florida. Think about that for a moment. The United States has the number one GDP in the world. Russia, with 144 million people, only has a GDP slightly larger than the state of Florida. In fact, if you took California and made it a country, it would be the world's eighth largest economy. If you pause upon those numbers and just think about that for a second, you realize what a blessed country we live in. Uh, we've grown up, most of us, 
understanding what it is to have lots of things. We, we've watched our parents work hard. We, we've, we've learned what good work ethic is. I believe we learned that in the Midwest. But we've also been blessed by the things that we ourselves have experienced. One of the questions we all should ask is, what have we done with that wealth? What are we doing with that wealth? Do we save it? Do we share it? Do we simply use it for our own personal enjoyment? See, that's the question that really is before our text as we really roll up our sleeves and dig in. Jesus is asking the question, what do you really love? That's what's at stake regarding this question that we look at today. And so what is that question? I would remind you the background to the question is that Jesus is speaking to tens of thousands of people. Some commentators believe he may have been speaking to a mass of about 20, 30, or even as possibly as great as 50,000 people. And those people were pressing in so much to get close to Jesus, they were actually trampling one another. And in the midst of all that confusion, a voice screams out a question. In verse 13, we're told the question is this. Really, it's a job description. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Who is this voice? What is he really saying? Well, to clarify, obviously a father has died, and now there are sons who are squabbling over his wealth. Most likely, the one shouting at Jesus is the younger brother. Why do I say that? Because the older brother would have been the one who gets double the inheritance. The older brother would have had the responsibility of distributing the inheritance. And the younger brother wants Jesus to do something. He wants Jesus to fix his problem. The younger brother here wants, ultimately, Jesus to use his authority to ultimately help him. He's looking to Jesus for his own personal gain. And who better to ask than the rabbi who's also a miracle worker? So he appeals to Jesus in the midst of this crowd. Hey, Jesus, help me with my inheritance. Look at Jesus' response in verse 14. Man, I love that. It's like Jesus in the 70s. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Friends, when you read that word man, understand that's not a term of endearment, but of irritation. And yet Jesus asked the question, who made me judge? And yet in verse 5 of chapter 12, Jesus already stated God is judge, for God has the authority to cast in hell. What in the world is Jesus saying then? Jesus, aren't you the judge? Aren't you the arbitrator of all things? Aren't you the one who has the final say? Surely you can help this man. I believe there's a commentator who helps us by the name of Leon Morris. He says, Jesus came to bring people to God, not property to people. Don't miss that. Jesus came to bring people to God, not property to people. That's what Jesus' business was. Jesus is basically saying, I'm not here to deal with your squabbles about inheritance between brothers. I got bigger issues that I'm here to deal with. Jesus came to deal with not our whims, but ultimately our need. And our need wasn't inheritances based upon what our fathers were going to give us or not give us. It was based upon, ultimately, the issue of salvation. 
What takes place in this text is that Jesus sees right through this man. And if we're honest, we know that Jesus sees right through us as well. In verse 3 of chapter 12, we were told last week that nothing is hidden that won't be revealed. Nothing is hidden. That's a scary thing, especially when we talked last week about our hypocrisy, which is secret and it works in us and it, and it slowly begins to take us over so that we begin to live with a mask on our face. We pretend, pretend to be one thing when we really act a different way. Well, here Jesus is saying pretty much the same thing, that your sins are going to be revealed, Right? That I'm here to deal with bigger things, and one of those things is about your covetousness. Look at verse 15. Take care. Be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Friends, the man was only concerned with himself. The man was living for himself. He was about me, 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 and his happiness. That's all he was concerned about. And yet clearly here the scripture teaches that to do that is a very sad life indeed. For we are to live more than for ourselves. We're to live for the glory of God. That's what Jesus is getting at. Look at verse 15. He says, be on guard. Watch out. Don't be lazy. Fight sin. Put to death this desire for other things and never being satisfied. What is covetousness? Well, it's materialism. In the 10th commandment, it says, don't covet your neighbor's house, his wife, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Yet, we are inundated constantly. We're trained to covet. Commercials are made to help you to covet. Billboard signs, ads on technology are made so that you would covet. They've gotten so smart that if you just talk in front of your smartphone, all of a sudden pops up the very thing they think that you need. Or at least you think you need because you've talked about it. Coveting is pushed in around us everywhere. And if they were to be on guard during Jesus' day, how much more do we need to be on guard today? What Jesus is really saying is understand, this is a matter of the heart. You're not satisfied. And you should be. He goes on to say, life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Yet this man screaming out in the masses surely did think so. He thought he was being robbed of what rightfully was his, rightfully that would make him happy. Maybe he was longing for the day that his dad was died just so that he could get the possession. And now his brother won't give it to him fast enough. It's a heart issue. The truth is, many of us have that same heart issue. So I ask you this morning, where is your joy found? What do you find yourself most consumed with? Where do you seek your comfort? Is it in things? Or is it in God? Notice Jesus uses a story. That's one of the cool things about Jesus is Jesus loved to tell stories. And Jesus would walk with people and talk with them in such a way that he would make some heavenly things come down to earthly understanding. He used parables. A parable literally means to come alongside. It was to aid, to help. And here Jesus is using a story, a parable of a rich farmer who had been given great increase. 
And yet in the midst of it, this rich farmer shows his selfishness. And he forgets his utter dependence. Friends, I want you to look at the number of times in this short parable that the farmer uses the word I. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down. I will build up. I will store all my grain. I will say to my soul, I, 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 I. The farmer is very self-centered. And if we're honest, so are we. Now, I even go so far as to say that a tool technology is actually created to show our self-centeredness. Facebook. You know, back in the old days, when I was kind of young and hip, it was actually MySpace. <laughs> At least we were honest about it. MySpace. <laughs> it's about me. Facebook said, let's just kind of see what your life looks like. But look at the things you put on there. And look what happens as you start to surf through Facebook. Covetousness. We covet what others have. We sin. Me, me, me. I, I, I. See, the problem is the rich young farmer thinks too much of himself. Uh, the rich young farmer takes uh, credit for things that he shouldn't be. Rather than thanking God, he begins to think, look at all I have, all that I've done. What am I going to do? He's pretty quick on his feet. He realizes he has so much abundance of wealth. I'm just going to tear down barns and build bigger ones. Because I need this stuff. How quickly we forget our utter dependence with our prosperity. Friends, isn't that what's happened to the United States? There was a time in the history of the United States when everything just boomed. It's the 1950s. Right just after the war, war World War II, we, we learned about such indulgence we had never experienced before. Good jobs, big houses, the dream life. But in that prosperity, we forgot our dependence. One of the ways we see it is how Christians don't even like to pray before they eat. We don't. And we should. See, an old farmer understood that it was all by God's grace that his crop grew. And this farmer should have known that. But even a farmer can be twisted to think that it's what I did. That it's the seed I used or the ground I tilted that, God, that ultimately got me what I got. But a good farmer would understand that, no, I can't control the sun. I can't control the rain. I can't control the wind. I can't control any of the pestilence that would come and destroy my crop. God is the provider. But if you look at us, our prosperity has made us forget our dependence. You see it in the grocery store when we get angry because a shelf is empty? We expect our brand to be there. And when it's not, we get angry about it. Where's the manager? I haven't seen my brand in weeks. I, me, selfishness, the prosperity has forced us to forget our dependence. 
We begin to think that these possessions are given to us for our simple personal pleasure. I grew up in a generation where I saw technology advance faster than anyone. I went from audio cassettes to CDs to now everything's in the cloud. My kids don't even have to understand what it's like to make a mixtape for your girlfriend. They had to wait to write song to come on just so you could press record. They have no idea of the struggle of what it was like to live in the 70s. Eight-track players. Vinyls that you finally bought and it got scratched and now it's ruined. We think everything is about us. And it can't get it fast enough. As soon as we get the new technology, we want the next one, the next one, the next one. We're never satisfied. Same with automobiles. The same with houses. And unfortunately, even the same with spouses. We don't realize the damage our selfishness is doing. What's ironic is to see the selfishness On such display. Look at verse 19. He says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Watch his response. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. You're good. What a fool. What a fool. That's exactly God's response. What a fool. See, the rich man focuses simply on himself about consuming for the purpose of pleasure. I'm going to build bigger barns. You know, there's a great contrast between him and Joseph. Joseph built, built bigger barns. But Joseph did it for an entirely different reason. To save many lives. Not just for his own pleasure. What a contrast. What a difference. The truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, we love to live a cozy life. And if we're not careful, we can make a cozy life our God. But ultimately, in doing that, we forget to serve the true God, the living God. The rich farmer shows his misunderstanding not just for material possessions, but another resource, time. He literally thought he had time on his side. Look at verse 19. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Many. He really believed that he had the comfortability to say, I got it all good now. I got enough savings to retire and enjoy life. The farmer thought he actually had it all taken care of, but then God speaks in that night and says, you fool! Your soul is required of you. This night. How many people, the moment they retire, we've heard those stories die. I'm not saying retiring is bad. Retiring is a good thing. But there's a sense in which if that's our goal, if that's what we're, we're shooting for, to find our joy and our happiness, and we're only looking for our comfort, that's a problem. 
Our goal should be found even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty. Our goal should be found to glorify God, to find joy in Jesus, even in the busyness of life with little ones. I hear it all the time from young moms. I just can't wait till they get older and maybe eventually get out of the house. No, this is now. This is a beautiful thing. Even in the midst of our suffering, we have opportunities to serve the Lord in ways we wouldn't have had we not been going through the trials, the difficulties. You know, as I've been praying for the Breezy family and as now I pray for the Liebman family, I think about the suffering of those in the hospital and I think, man, it's hard to be in those spots. But what an opportunity to serve the Lord even in the midst of difficulty. And the truth is for us the same way. An opportunity to really see that our time is not our own. It's given by God. For such a time as this, we have been placed where we've been placed. And yet the rich young farmer thought he had time on his side. Yet the farmer thought he had it all taken care of, but the one thing he neglected to take care of was his own soul. Think about the reality of that for a moment. To take care of everything else. Work all the doubles and the triples to get all the college money there. To put your kid in all the, all the sporting events. To make sure you get all the different helps that they need for education. And, and you and your wife have been storing up all this money to go on these trips and do all these things. But somewhere in the midst of it, in your last breath, you realize we never made time for God. We never made God as a priority in our family. We didn't keep the first thing first. That's the story of this farmer. Because God confronted him today and said, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. We must all remember that we are completely dependent beings. The book of James says in James 4, verse 15, you ought not to say if, you ought to say if the Lord wills, then we will live and do this or that. We're to have a proper understanding according to James that we're not in control, God is, if the Lord wills. Or how about the book of Job, when Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. But listen to how he ends it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think Mark 8, 36 really captures it. It says, what profit is it to us if we gain the whole world but lose our own soul? That's the struggle of the rich farmer. The struggle because we begin to enjoy the pleasures of life that we forget our utter dependency. We misunderstand our time. And it affects our soul. But then in verse 21, Jesus makes kind of this summary point, doesn't he? He kind of steps back from the story and he's looking to the crowd and he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So is the one. So is the one what? So is the one a fool 
who lays up treasures for himself and isn't rich towards God. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying the rich young farmer placed all of his confidence, all of his hope, all of his joy in the wrong stuff. The man who was asking the question about his inheritance that started this whole discussion, his problem was his focus was in the wrong place. And if it's true for them, how much more true is it for us? And yet Jesus reveals the biggest issue, what we love. What do we really desire? What foolishness there is to lay up treasures in this world but not being rich towards God. See, the heart of the issue is about what are we rich in? Possessions? Things? Or God? The truth is, anyone who seeks joy in possessions like the rich farmer or the original man asking the question about inheritance, is a fool. That's what Jesus is saying. They're a fool because they're living as though God doesn't exist. When in reality, God is the greatest gift you could ever be given. Our greatest satisfaction is found in the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The greatest riches we can have are not the possessions of this world where the moth and the, and the earth corrupts and destroys. No, the greatest possession is the gift of God. And yet we forget that. Like the rich farmer, like the man asking the question, the, the second brother, Bible passage after Bible passage proves this point. Think all the way back to Adam and Eve. They chose the pleasure of the world over the Creator by choosing the forbidden fruit. Or how about the story of Israel as they placed their confidence in the ark of the Lord rather than solely in the Lord when they went off to war? And what happened? God revealed their sin as they lost both the battle and the ark. Or how about Abraham who placed his confidence in his wife Sarah looking to her to lie for his protection against both Pharaoh and Abimelech? Rather than seeing the pleasure and the joy and the treasure he had in God, he trusted rather in earthly things. They all did. And so do we. See, the point is, we all need to understand how empty our hands are before the Lord. We all need to come and, and recognize that the greatest thing God can give us is himself. And that, after all, is the promise that's made. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 14 who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it 
to the praise of his glory. Friends, don't miss this. The down payment of your inheritance is the Holy Spirit. The down payment of your inheritance is God himself because your inheritance is God. If my, if, my, if my inheritance from, let's say, my uncle. My uncle used to own a baseball card shop. I worked at the baseball card shop. Great job. I loved it. Probably spent more money than I made. But the thing about it is if, if he left me part of his inheritance and they said, hey, here's part of your inheritance, the down payment, you know what? I'd probably get baseball cards <laughs> because the inheritance would have been baseball cards. The down payment is always signified by the thing that it it, it represents. And the down payment of, of, of what we're given by God is the Holy Spirit. So what are we fully getting? The fullness of God. Imagine the joy that that should bring us. And yet we can sit in a room and be left unmoved. The inheritance God has given you is himself. Without limit. All the things of this world will burn up. But he created all things. And he gives you himself. How foolish to find joy and pleasure in the things of the world. And not to find them in God. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what Jesus is pushing us toward to truly understand the inheritance we have in God. He forces us to ask a few questions. The first being, where's our heart? What do we really love most? Because if we're honest for just a moment, we probably love the things of the world more than we love the things of God. And what did Jesus tell us to do about it? Be on guard. Put it to death. Don't be lazy. Fight sin. Kill. Kill sin. Put to death the breaking of the 10th commandment. Friend, I ask you, do you find yourself to be too self-dependent? Or do you fully grasp your utter dependence on God? Do you pray before you even eat? Do you pray before you read the word? Do you pray before you do your homework? Do you pray before you go to work? Do you pray in utter dependence for everything, recognizing your dependence upon God? Or do you just live your life assuming, I'm doing pretty good? See, the real question is, do we truly fathom the wealth we have in the Lord? If we did, we'd be going to that bank every day. If we truly understood the wealth that is in Christ, we would run to Christ every moment. For Christ and Christ alone satisfies. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said these words, beginning at verse 19, he said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, tre- where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me read that again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Church, where is your treasure? Where is your heart? May it cling to Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away this early morning, time change and the distractions of life, Lord, the things that would push us to not hear you this morning, I pray that the things that you have said to us would resonate. That, Lord, rather than our comfort, we would seek your glory. That, Lord, we would desire you more than we desire the things of this world. That we would recognize our utter dependence upon you, not just for what we have, but even time itself. Lord, may we recognize how awesome you are and the fact that you have given us yourself through the person and work of Jesus, through the down payment of the Holy Spirit, may that excite us. May we truly run to the bank of our Lord and find all the joy that we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.